One of my favorite moments that happens again and again as a member of the clergy is the pause that lasts just a beat too long after someone asks an impossible to answer question about scripture or the nature of God or why evil exists in this world. I love this moment because very often I look up to see who's gonna answer only to realize everybody's looking at me, the person with the collar on to see what they know. It's my favorite moment because I'm almost always genuinely shocked that people are waiting to hear my opinion because I'm just a person, no smarter or holier than anyone else in the group, but mostly I love it because often the only answer to these questions is a bit of silence that lasts just a little bit too long. I learned an exercise from some of my closest friends years ago. Whenever a question or topic comes up that no one knows the answer to around the table, before everyone pulls out their phones to figure out, was that person in this movie? Or when did this toy, when was this toy created? We ask, do we want to wonder or do we want to know? It's a simple moment that doesn't block us from accessing all that Google has to give us. But it does let us ask the question about whether collective wondering might be better than knowing the right answer. When it comes to the big questions in life, I wish we all felt a collective pull toward a baffled delight or a quiet curiosity or a reverent silence. I wish we didn't feel the need to have the answers, or at least that we felt a little comfortable with not knowing at all. For many people in the church, preachers tend to have plenty of answers and plenty of questions to tell you to ask. And this morning, I'm gonna occupy a space not of answers, but in the big unknowing of what it means to exist in this world. The pauses might be too long, and sometimes the questions will feel as unsatisfactory as not having an answer themselves. But today's gospel passage is nothing if not an invitation to wonder. The transfiguration of Christ is celebrated and lauded as an important moment in Christ's life. But I wonder if Peter and James and John, at the end of their lives, if they were still just a little bit terrified and mostly confused about what they saw on that mountaintop that day. I wonder how long they questioned themselves. Do we really see Elijah and Moses? talking to our friend Jesus. I wonder what Christ, what Jesus, flesh and blood Jesus felt physically as he was transfigured. Did his tunic make a shift as it became the brightest white possible? I wonder what narratives played across Peter and James and John's faces as they descended this mountain and Jesus told them, tell no one.
I wonder how you might hear this story of the transfiguration of Christ differently if I could stand in this pulpit and tell you exactly what it means. I wonder if the burden of all the unknowns in this world might make us want just a little bit of certainty on a Sunday morning. I wonder if it's easier for us in the long arc of our faith to start making Jesus act like us rather than us acting like Jesus. I don't have a whole lot of explanations for what happened at the transfiguration of Christ. But I do know that Christ, the Son of God, was changed, was transformed, was made into something new. And unfortunately, I don't have any sort of week-by-week -week plan for you to implement this coming Lenten season so that you too can be transformed over the next five weeks. But I do know that when I spend time with our sacred text or in prayer with God, I rarely leave with more answers than questions. I can't tell you how long Moses and Elijah were on the mountaintop with Christ any more than I can tell you how long it will take to bring about change in our broken world. But I do know, fully and truly know, that the spiritual life changes us. When we explore these stories and allow ourselves to ask big, difficult questions, we're able to feel the pull toward wonder about this world God has created. And while I don't have answers, to your deepest, darkest spiritual questions, and everybody has deep, dark spiritual questions. Believe me when I say that I know that when we wrestle with a hard-won hope, it changes us. And I can't stand here in good conscience and say everything will work out. I can't say that everything is going to be fine, no matter what war or systemic injustice or general heaviness that clouds our lives. But I am compelled to share that as a person with a whole lot more questions than answers, I do believe that change is possible. I believe it's available to us individually and collectively. I am compelled to share that the light will shine out of the darkness, as St. Paul says. I am compelled to share that I do believe that God's love is a force in this world. It's not a magic pill that will instantly make everything better. Rather, it's the slow, unstoppable tides that has the power to change each of us.
And as we are changed by that slow, unstoppable love of God, we will become convicted by that hope to change others, to change the world around us. We occupy a really small footprint in this world. Our connections, our relationships, we occupy this small space. And this small space is an invitation to change that space and that space, and it'll ripple out. Because we follow the Christ. We follow the one who was transfigured into something new. We follow the one who asks us to follow him in a life of radical compassion. We follow the one through whom we find access to the unrelenting hope of the resurrection. And so my prayer in these days before we begin Lent is that we may be bold enough and brave enough to participate in God's love that is changing this world. Amen.